All right, we are in Esther chapter 5 tonight. I call tonight favor. This is, this is a text where it's interesting. Because Esther, because remember last week, Mordecai told Esther to get in there, to go barge in there, and essentially get on your face before the king and beg and plead for mercy for your people. And it was a life-changing moment for Mordecai. We haven't seen any possible faith with this guy yet. We haven't even seen any kind of allegiance to his own people. Yes, last week he did fast, and he wore sackcloth, and that was a thing, and he got all the Jews around the empire to do it too. That was not minor. And then Esther and her crew said, okay, we're going to fast. And fasting is, we talked about that, fasting is not just a simple thing. It gets you outside of yourself. And it's the closest we get to a faith moment when God is completely silent. When there is no God explicitly in the text. And so we're left to whatever drippings and leavings the narrator gives us. And how we can try to massage of what's between the lines without reading between the lines. We don't want to read into God's word. We want to read out of God's word. But yeah, and so we're left going, okay, this has to be it. This has to be it. This tension we were left with is she's going to go before the king or is she just going to be blowing hot air? Is she just going to be blowing smoke at Mordecai? Or does she mean it? Is she really going to go in there and beg and please? So we are expecting a life and death situation. When she opens those doors, we're expecting the guards to be on their guard, as it were, and ready to go. And are they going to, is she going to die? And yeah, we're expecting a lot. So let's open with a word of prayer. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity we have to study your word. And, and, and God, I'm so thankful that this is not just literature we're studying that as we study your word, God, you work through your word upon our hearts and you help and you convict us and you encourage us and you guide our steps. The Bible calls the Bible a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path because we're in the dark, Lord. We need a lamp and a light to guide us, especially as we go through these days where there doesn't seem to be a lot of right answers sometimes. And we don't know what to do with the decisions we face sometimes. And sometimes, God, you don't seem right there like you used to be in Scripture. And we have to try to guess what to do. And life is just icky and, and, and weird sometimes, God. And we don't always know what to say or do. But you're still there. And we can trust that you're in control, that your divine providence is still in action, even through our ordinary events. And that's awesome, God. And we get that because of the book of Esther. So I pray our time tonight challenges us and encourages us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I have this confidence moment every week. The Biggest Loser is now back on the TV show, okay? I entered a Biggest Loser contest one time. I was part of, uh, oh gosh, it's like the Wheeling Fitness Center many years ago, and they had a, a Biggest Loser contest. And I had one thing going for me. I was a very large man. I still am. But back then, I had a lot of weight to lose. If Guaranteed Biggest Loser winners. In fact, if I was ever on that TV show, the guaranteed way to win, and my brother clued me in on this. He's a, he's a, a large guy himself. He said the guaranteed way to win the Biggest Loser is to be a guy to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and get to your biggest weight right before the show. And then get on the show, and sorry, ladies, if, if we guys put our nose to the grindstone, the weight flies. If we actually do it and do what we're supposed to do, it ain't fair. I get it. 
But that was happening to me. I had a bunch of ladies in my group and one other guy. He didn't really try that much. And we were, every week we'd weigh in. And it was, it was one of those things where they're like, Joel, wow, you lost seven pounds this week. That is, wow. And all these women are like losing one or two pounds. And they're, just, and they're, they're working their tail off for those two pounds. And I'm just like, sorry. I like, probably had like a Twinkie in my hand or something. Oh, sorry, guys. You know, I'm just doing my... And I, 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 I ran away with that competition. And I, I won something minor, but, you know, bragging rights, I guess. But, yeah, it, was, it wasn't that hard for a guy. There's something about men. When we try and all things are equal, we will always lose weight faster. It's just, it's, just, it's not fair. I'm sorry. But, yeah, the weight was just flying off. And, but I have, this, I have this confidence issue. I could have been a good boy all week. I could have been eating the right way. My fitness pal is singing songs to me. Everything is good. And I'm, I'm working on the treadmill. I'm doing good things. I'm, I'm lifting the weight, whatever it is. But when I get to Monday morning, I've got anxiety. And I'm facing that scale. And I'm going, but I worked too hard for me to have gained weight this week. I worked too hard for me to not get a good number this week. And I'm pausing right there. And I'm approaching the scale. And I'm, I'm like, okay, well... I guess if it's not that bad, I'll be okay. And I, I'm like talking my way out of it. And then when, when, when I get on there and, oh, I'm, well, okay. Then I'm, I'm walking around the bathroom like, well, I, I knew it. Or, you know. But yeah, that, 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 that moment, that confidence moment. And so we're in Esther 5 today. And I'm going to need you to turn there with me. And I, I have to say that because I forgot to turn there myself. So I got to open up an app real quick. You know, I just... Uh, I remember my grandma saying a long time ago, she said, you know, hey, hey, Joel, you're, you're entitled to one mistake every day if you want. I mean, that, this is my mistake. So we need to get to Esther 5. Okay, so the approach. So I've got to approach this scale. Do I have confidence when I approach this scale? Was I a good boy this week? Well, the scale's going to tell me, I guess. And I realize those of you who are fitness people, the scale's not always the right barometer if you were a good boy that week or a good girl that week in terms of your fitness but that's what my brain is telling me and what and the, the, what is concrete measurable and attainable all that kind of stuff I'm like ah and so that confidence it goes out the window until I finally step on the scale and I deal with it on the third day this is Esther 5 1 on the third day Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall the king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance Wow. It's like the dude staring at her. I wonder if he's thinking, is she going to take a step in? I mean, this Xerxes guy, we've already seen he's a slave to his passions. And maybe not even a slave. He, just, he, he can do whatever he wants, so he does. He wants to have a big drunken party. He's going to have a big drunken party. He wants to have another drunken party and one more drinking with the guys and one more. He does what he wants. We don't even know if in the mind of Xerxes, he's thinking, you know, can I only bring this up because Esther brought it up. Esther brought up a potential tension. Mordecai, he hasn't seen me in 30 days. This is not the kind of guy that doesn't see the woman he wants to party with in 30 days. And that was a very clean sentence for your ears. There's always a younger, and you know, this kind of guy can get whatever he wants and most often does, and he hasn't seen me in 30 days. So I don't think he wants, it's just implied that he might not want to see me, Mordecai. So it's further implied that if you were a guy that wanted to get rid of this girl that you regret marrying or you want to move on, 
this is the easy way to do it. She steps in without an invite. Oh, my hands are tied. Uh, guards, off with her head. Now, that's reaching a lot, but it's still a possibility just because of what we've learned that he has but one rule. He either extends the golden scepter and saves her life, or he doesn't, and she's crispy critters. This is the data we have. So we just don't know. But all this is playing into this tension that she gives to Mordecai. Um, you do know that I could die here. So she walks in, or she's right there at the door. Now, let's pause here. I mentioned my confidence with the scale. That's just, that's just silliness. Although on Monday morning, it kicks my butt. Trust me. It's a short-lived thing, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm weak. I'm sorry. That's my thing. Hebrews 4, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So in the blue type there, let's just pause, take in Esther's moment, because it's a real moment. And sadly, the moment's going to fly by in this text. So we've got to pause here. Reread the above verse that I just read. And between you, your paper, and your prayer, thank Jesus. Esther did not have confidence to go before the king, just straight up. Either grace was going to be extended to her or grace was not going to be extended to her. And grace, by definition, is never earned. It just is. The moment you earn it, it's not grace. The moment you deserve it, it's not grace. Grace is a gift. So she's either going to die or she's going to be a recipient of the king's grace. But look what Jesus accomplished for us. Don't you remember in the Old Testament, you had the tabernacle and if you can picture like, I don't know, like a Jerusalem cross where you've got, you've got the tabernacle in the center and four tribes up north, four tribes to the east, four tribes west, and four tribes south. All the tribes surrounding this tabernacle, which was God's mobile home, as it were. And if you read uh, the, 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 the regulations, one of the jobs of the Levites was to be around the tabernacle. Why? Because they were guards. Because you got kids playing or whatnot. You could not mistakenly bump into the tabernacle or you're dead. So one of the jobs of the Levites was to stand guard around the tabernacle so nobody accidentally touched the things of the tabernacle, even by accident. That was what you could only, in fact, if you want to take the book of Leviticus and, and boil it down to one phrase, yeah, I know, the big, scary, boring book of Leviticus. Oh, it's not. It's not boring. It's bloody. It's wonderful. It's, it's, this, it's this book that is just full of just drama and intrigue, all in the law. If you want to approach a holy God, you've got to do it his way. Because if you don't do it his way, crispy critters. You couldn't just approach God. You couldn't do it. You couldn't even come to worship unless you brought something. You never came to God empty-handed. You had to have an animal to sacrifice. You had to have something. You couldn't just approach God. So what did Jesus accomplish for us? Let's pause here. As Esther contemplates approaching the king, you were able to approach the king of kings because of what Jesus on the cross did for you. Just take a moment here. And I don't need to hear about it. Maybe your paper does. Jot something down. Just a few words of thanksgiving for Jesus because we're coming boldly before God right now. And I don't mean boldly, lightly. Take in Esther's moment.
verses 2 and 3. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her. Oh, great. He held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached, touched the tip of the scepter. Okay. Well, there you go. Done. <sighs> then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? Oh, he, used, he used her title. That was nice. Take a breath now, Esther. He called you Queen Esther. What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom will be given you. I love it when kings do this. Could you imagine if someone said, well, king, okay, I'll take 49%. You said, I'm just saying, even up to half the kingdom, I don't think you really, really meant, but that's just kind of the way they talk. Ah, oh, yes, you know. I've, I have those moments myself where I can't find the remote control, and I'll say, hey, my kingdom for the remote control, where is it? You know, it's like, yeah, it's just one of those moments. But even up to half the kingdom, now, this happens later on in history. You have a note there from Mark 6. Um, a very different king, King Herod, said to the girl, and you know, if you want to find out more about the situation, it's kind of creepy. In fact, it's not kind of creepy at all. They want to get rid of John the Baptist, but they can't. If you think our politicians today are, are driven by polls, you know nothing about first century politics. They were completely driven by polls. The Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus, but they feared the people, so they wouldn't dare. Herod wanted to kill John the Baptist. But John the Baptist is doing miracles, and Herod's like, oh, heck no. So his wife, actually his brother's wife that he marries, John the Baptist calls him on it, and everyone's sad. In fact, the wife is mad. She conspires some great kind of weird Jerry Springer-esque kind of moment here where, hey, go dance for your stepdad and make him happy. So he, she comes out and she's dancing and he says this. Then Herod said to the girl, ask, me, ask for me anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I'll give you, even up to half my kingdom. <coughs> wow. And of course, this girl followed her mommy's lead and she said, okay, up to half the kingdom, I don't want your kingdom. I want the head of John the Baptist. And dude gave it on an oath in front of his boys. He's got to do it. He didn't, he didn't want to do it, otherwise he would have done it. So see, Esther once again finds favor with the king. And kings at times grant favors. So Esther's in the double favor mode. She not only found favor, but she might just get a favor. That's kind of cool. She found favor, and she's going to get a favor. She might just. And the king seems ready to do whatever she asks. This guy is primed and ready. So Mordecai's great fear actually turned into the great blessing. She doesn't have to beg and plead. He's ready to go. Let's go four to eight. Here we go. Let's find out what she says. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman boo, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, of course, it's like breathing for this guy, the king asked, <laughs> again asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given to you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom. I'm assuming he's not offering the other half at this point, but she hasn't taken <laughs> Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. 
If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Man, I've heard of stringing a guy out, but my goodness. He just wants to do you a favor, girl. And, uh, all right. We were expecting begging. He's given her multiple opportunities to ply her feminine charms if she wishes to, to get to bat the eyelashes. You would just say that. She can bat the eyelashes, flip the hair, whatever she's got to do. Maybe come up and touch his shoulder and go, oh my, the king's been working out or some, some kind of thing. And, and beg and plead, well, king, you promised me one thing. Oh, king, can I have this one little tiny thing, please? It, it, it'll mean nothing to you, please. We're expecting begging and pleading because Mordecai commanded her to do it. That she could have told Mordecai to pound sand, but she said, fast with me, Let's, we're gonna, I'm going to do it. So we're expecting begging here. Instead, we get politics. Esther is turning into a political savvy machine. She's turning into Queen Esther. She's not messing around. We're going to see this unfold and we're going to go, oh, snap. She is going to maximize her moment. And yeah, Esther uses the first to set up the second. I mean, I don't mean to get kind of oddly sexual with this, but she keeps him happy and wanting more. What do I mean by that? What does he want more than anything else? It seems like he wants to drink with his bros. I'm just saying. Every time we see this guy, he's having a drink with his bros. And his bro is Haman here, his number one guy. Boom. Yeah. So, so, so what, is, what is her favor? Hey, king, can I give you a drinking party? Will you have a banquet with me? And if you think a banquet's like a golden corral kind of thing, um, what was this banquet like in chapter one? It was all the pleasures you could imagine, him showing it off. And it was so sensual that Queen Vashti was like, no, I'm not going to be a part of that. So this is, so this is like a, a magical trick for women. Know what your husband likes, and he wants, this is what he really wants, and she's making it seem like that she wants this too. So this is kind of a cool thing. I, I, it blew my mind when, when, when my wife started playing video games with me when we were dating. I'm like, there's no way you're going to play video games. Oh, I'll play some video games. It was like on one of our first dates, she ordered chicken wings. I'm like trying to pick through a little salad going, I don't want to be this, this grotesque fat guy she's dating. And she's like, can we just get some wings? I'm like, oh God, I love her. I was like praying right there. Can we just get some hot wings? I just want to get my hands messy. Like, yes I'm like can I have not had the salad can I have a couple burgers or something yes let's do it um, she is getting involved with what makes him happy in this case is drinking parties again she's not an example for us but she knows how her man thinks she's keeping him happy and wanting more now the tension here is how should your prayer life be different than Esther's political maneuverings because this is not how we are to approach God. In fact, the verse here, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, how would be your name? See, some people think that they have to approach God that way. God, I have to then give you what you want because you're looking for something 
And if I don't give that to you, I can't expect anything from you. Now, most people aren't that way, but the people who are that way, they're the kind of person that is, is always like a quid pro quo with God. And again, it's, it's why, why God says don't make any graven images in commandment too, because the moment you make a graven image, you've got to take care of that image. And then you're saying to God, well, God, I took care of your graven image. I mean, I'm just saying, there's no just saying, ever, with God. You're either giving God glory or you're not giving God glory. There's no moment where you're going to approach God. This isn't necessarily, with our prayer life, we're not really trying to manipulate God, because that's not going to work. But some people might do that with, maybe they'll give offering that week, and they'll kind of expect, well, God, you know, I, I did give. God, I mean, I know I was going to watch the game today, but I did wake up when I didn't want to wake up, and I did go to church when I didn't really want to go to church, and I did my thing, I put in my time. God, and so there's that little twinge of maybe, I mean, maybe I, I could get something back. Or maybe life could go just a little bit better for me. Again, I'm not saying people do this, but the temptation is there to do that. I know people who do do that. I'm not accusing anyone of doing that. I'm not even saying Esther is even an example for our prayer life here. But what I'm encouraging us is she is, she is playing this political game with her husband to get what she wants. And she's doing it masterfully. She's teaching a master class of how to deal with life in this situation. And we're going to see if God's going to use that. But the temptation is to play that way with God. Even deep down inside, where we're tempted to go, God, but I did this. As if God is now beholden to you. And even the great ones of the faith who have made these oaths, they think, okay, I made this oath, God, now you have to come through. No, we take oaths up with God's faithfulness in mind. God keeps his word whether we keep our word or not. God is a faithful God. He's never dependent upon us. The moment he's dependent upon me, that's a God you don't want to worship because he now owes something to me or he's waiting for me to make my decision so he knows what to do. And that makes God less God and the, and the, the great reactor. And God's not a great reactor. God is the great God. He's God. And I'm not. And that's, that's a good thing. So, how should your prayer life be different? Don't seek a quid pro quo with God. Don't ever have a back-scratching relationship with God. Ever. Don't ever think that God owes you something. And that's different than saying, God, you promised this in your word, and I'm going to hold you to your promise. No, that's a good thing. God always keeps his word. That's why when people ask me, what's going to happen with the Jews who don't accept Jesus? And I said, well, I don't know. Honestly, God gave his word to Abraham way back in Genesis. I don't know what's going to happen. And the tension of Romans 9, 10, and 11 is the same thing. Paul doesn't even know what's going to happen. He's like, you know, at some point we've got to say all Israel is going to be saved. Because God does keep his word. But he also, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it makes sense. But there's a tension there because there's only a tension because God keeps his word. Will he keep his word literally to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I don't know. That's that tension. God keeps his word. So what's going to happen here? Esther is saying, okay, here's what I want, O king. I want you to come to a party I'm going to throw. Which, by the way, blows my mind. Because when did Esther have a chance to plan this? Right? It's like she either went into this with a condition. 
if I don't die, if I'm not choking on an arrowhead within the first few steps in this room, or if my head is still attached to my shoulders and the king grants me a request, here's what I'm going to do. We don't even know if it was like on, on, the, on the spur of the moment. Political savvy, boom. I know what you want. She's thinking, okay, here's, here's how we're going to play this. If he gives me a favor, there's only one favor that's going to keep it going. I got to keep him happy and partying and in a good mood and that's what my husband does I don't know if she thought that way all we know is that she went that way a favor I'm going to throw a banquet king will you please come and will you bring him too he's not even there could you go get him so he's like go get him heck yeah party time with my bro okay and then alright we came now, now seriously you, you must have something on your mind, my sweet, my sweet little sweet thing here. What is it you really want? Here's what I really want, O king. He's, he's probably thinking, he's probably elbowing Haman going, finally, huh? I got one more party. Will you come again? Mm. This girl knows her man. You got to give her that. That's what her man wants. He wants to drink again. He wants to party again. He wants one more time to be exalted with wine again. And evidently, Haman's going to want the same thing. Is what we're going to see in verse 9. Here we go. 9 to 14. The real estate in Esther is so precious. I wonder why the narrator, i.e. the Holy Spirit, went here. I wonder. Let's check this out. Haman! went out that day happy and in high spirits. Thank you, Bible, for cleaning that sentence up for us. Dude was so drunk he probably couldn't find his pants while they were on him. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman, he restrained himself and went home. Got to give him that. I mean, he hasn't restrained himself thus far. So we, we got to give him that. That's a good moment for the man. Calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman, boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above all the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. We all know people like this. Do you ever have a that's nothing kind of guy? I remember this guy. He was from Chicago. I was in college. He was that kind of guy that said, hey, you know what? I just heard my grandpa had, had double bypass surgery. That's nothing. That's nothing. My grandpa just had quadruple bypass surgery. He has to one-up everything you say. Maybe someone knows a that's nothing kind of guy. We got a that's nothing moment here. He's just coming home. He's just like, hey, not only is your man the man, but check out what just happened to your man today. Beware people who are always the hero of their own stories. Again, I think that's why you like me, because I'm usually the bozo in most of my stories. <laughs> I can't seem to do anything right half the time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. There you go. All right. That's not all. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave, and she's invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this, we've got to hear the smallest violin going, here we go. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. <laughs> his wife Zeresh and all his friends no doubt rolled their eyes. 
But, no, I, I digress. Said to him, have a pole set up reaching to the height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman. Indeed. And he had the pole set up. This reminds us of another said moment with another whiny leader. Evil as they come, Ahab, 1 Kings 21. So Ahab went home, sullen and angry, this is on your page, because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So evidently, he had a really nice vineyard. Ahab the king wanted it. He's like, give it to me. No. Okay, I'll buy it. No. So he goes home. Sulking, refusing to eat. His wife Jezebel, yes, that Jezebel came in and asked him, this is like a godfather, act like a man moment here. Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? Let's be whiny. He answered her, because I said to Naboth and just realized, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel's wife said, this is how you act as king over Israel? Suck it up, buttercup. Now get up and eat. Cheer up. And then you can imagine the steel gaze in her eyes. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Say what you want about Jezebel. That gal didn't mess around. You look at the great Mount Carmel moment where Elijah and the prophets of Baal, the who's God, Baal or Yahweh of Israel, the one who sends fire? Does Baal, the lightning God, send fire? Or does uh, God's God, or Israel's God, Yahweh? In fact, we're going to make it harder for Israel's God. We're going to put a bunch of water around the sacrifice and we'll see, if, we'll see if the lightning God sends lightning from heaven. And Baal showed to be not. Yeah, not. He showed to be not. He showed to be nothing. And great victory for God and his champion, Elijah. Jezebel rears her ugly head, and Elijah runs. He just straight down. He went from Chicago all the way down to Carbondale. He's like, oh, heck no. Jezebel struck fear into the man. This woman doesn't mess around. So the narrator gives us revealing dialogue about human satisfaction. If anybody was going to be satisfied, it would be this, this, this Haman guy. Yeah. Because he has it all. Not only that, he's got the prime ticket to attend this banquet. The only other person is the most powerful guy in the land. And he's wearing the king's ring. So, this is like the stones. I can't get no. We're expecting satisfaction to be right here. But they're the, the right if you're the kind of guy that's always looking for satisfaction, you're never going to get it. If you're the kind of woman that's like the proverbial Aunt Mabel, you know who Aunt Mabel is. You're not dating. So when are you going to start dating? You date, hoping to shut Aunt Mabel up. So when are you going to get married? When are you going to set the date? You try, you try to shut Aunt Mabel up, you set the date. So when are you going to actually have the marriage? You're coming to the, the wedding, Aunt Mabel. Okay, so when's the first kid? When's the second kid? If you don't have an Aunt Mabel, you just might be that Aunt Mabel. I hate Aunt Mabel. I hate living my life to please the Aunt Mabels. So many of us are, 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 are struggling with an old 80s term called codependency, which is living in fear of the opinion of other people. And 
You know, when you have satisfaction issues, you're never satisfied. You will never be satisfied. It's about contentment with what you do have. Don't ever be satisfied with your relationship with God as if we're good, God, and we're, we'll just put this thing in neutral for a while. We're good. No, don't do that, or you're going to be finding idols everywhere that you are going to start serving because you're you. I know, because I'm me. But yeah, Zeresh, this, this Zeresh lady, brings our minds back to another wife, Jezebel. So what are better approaches to life rather than making problems disappear? Because what this is all about here is let's just make the problem disappear. Go to the king, set up a pole, and be done with it. Just be done with it. There's plenty of better solutions to our problems. The number one solution, if you have a problem, I like, I'm a 12-step guy. I love Celebrate Recovery. Step four changed my life. Take an honest, a fearless and honest moral and spiritual inventory. Who have I wronged? Who has wronged me? What things have I done that I need to go offer amends for and repent of? What, have, what people have hurt me that I need to f- learn to forgive? That right there is a start. Maybe you've got a problem at the workplace. If you're going to focus on anybody's sin, focus with a laser-like intensity upon your own sin before you even begin to go to other people. Maybe you've forgiven a person, but you know what? You're not cool with them for a while. That's okay. Trust takes time to be built back up. But you can lead with grace. You can show grace in your brokenness. And that's a great thing. Stay humble and broken. If you ever get tired of being humble, you're in the wrong faith. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Remember that song? And he will lift you up. Yeah, humble yourself in the sight of God. Stay humble. Stay humble. That right there, this making problems disappear, I just can't ever deal with anything because the moment I deal with something, they're going to throw my past at me. I know I'm there. That's like one of my greatest fears. And so I don't confront things that need to be confronted. I don't deal with things that need to be dealt with sometimes because of that fear. It's crippling. That is not to be me. That is not to be you. Problems just don't go away. But they can be dealt with biblically. There's a brand new tension in our text. Once again, it's life and death. What in the world do I mean? Zeresh has just given him a plan. What's going to happen? Here's the big question. It's the early bird getting the worm kind of question. What's the big tension here? It's essentially this. Who's going to get to the king first? Is Haman going to get there first? Is there going to be a pole? Is Mordecai going to die on said pole? Or is Esther's banquet going to happen first? And oddly enough, I don't see there being a chance for Esther to get there first. Because banquets take time. And Haman is a simple conversation. Hey, you know what? Some guy's ticking me off. Oh, yeah, do what you think is best. Okay, I'm going to be constructing out here. We good? Oh, yeah, whatever. Whatever you got to do. Done. And then Mordecai's crispy critters. So you see, the problem could be solved for Esther and the Jews, but Mordecai's dead. Another life. Again, Esther's life is not on the line anymore. I mean, I guess theoretically it could be. It all depends upon how investigative Haman is and what he finds out and what he does about it. And if it finally gets back up to, to he finds out that she's really Hadassah the Jew, I guess theoretically her life's on the line, but not really practically, not anymore, because the golden scepter's been extended. But Mordecai's life? Uh-oh. 
We have a brand new danger, Will Robinson danger. Will Mordecai, in fact, next week, God is going to solve this dilemma. Oh, there I went. I said God. I shouldn't have said God yet. That's not really fair. But it's going to happen in such a way we're going to go, okay, wow. That almost had to be God. But again, I'm saying too much. The problem's going to get solved next week in a way that's just going to make you go, dang. Didn't see that coming. Because either who's going to get to the king first? That's what it comes down to. The bad guy or our hero, Esther. Who, by the way, is turning into an awesome woman. I'm not saying nothing about her past. But this Esther we're going to see here, she is it. Dang. She is queen. Queen of queens. How she plays the rest of this book, she's a bad girl. Mm. She's going to work things out, my goodness. So anyway, favor tonight, Esther 5. One more tension, life and death. We'll see you next week. Thanks for letting me share.